There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. LMFM Sunday Sport. Your sport, your station. So Mark, given how vigorously John Delaney has protected his reputation over the years, which is something that's detailed in the book in terms of how much was spent on defamation cases, did you encounter any obstacles from the point where you announced the book was coming to the point where it actually hit the shelves? No, uh, thankfully not. Like we obviously we had our um, a big encounter with John Delaney in the High Court last year when he tried to injunct the original Sunday Times story that kind of got the ball rolling on this whole affair and you know, so much grew out of that, the €100,000 story and the failed injunction that he took to the High Court kind of late on St. Patrick's Eve as it was last year. But no, writing the book, like we obviously, we contacted John Delaney and his solicitor multiple times and, uh, you know, wanted to give him a chance to talk to us or respond. And, you know, the last communication we had was from his solicitor saying, do not contact our office anymore as we will not answer any questions. So, I think I don't know. He's it's obviously he it's up to John Delaney as to how he decides to deal with the media. I saw he did complain in an affidavit that he hadn't been given an opportunity to respond to a lot of the articles. Um, this is in the Office of Directed Corporate Enforcement investigation, but we did give him an opportunity to respond, and and he seems to have adopted the kind of ostrich approach. You know, just stick the head in the sand and you do what you want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not answering any questions. So you've never spoken to him directly or yourself on a one-to-one basis or on any other matter? It's just always been through the communications department and the FEI or legal people or whatever? Yeah, well, I, I have. I, ha- I, I, I got his new mobile number and I rang it and left voice messages. Um, I sent him a text. Um, I've emailed him on his private email, you know, but no, he hasn't responded. Okay, I suppose that's uh, that's not surprising. Perhaps I guess there from people that have followed this story quite closely. Um, there's such a massive level of detail in the book with regard to minutes of board meetings, quotes from all all the relevant parties in the FAI and beyond. So it would seem that once the initial story of that hundred thousand check uh, broke, that some sources were only too happy to kind of spill the beans on what had been going on. Did it surprise you the level to which you were able to? And obviously through a lot of hard work between yourself and Paul Rowan as well to get to those sources. But did it surprise you how quickly this kind of all unraveled from the point where that hundred thousand story broke? Um, I, yeah, we were surprised how quickly things escalated. But in terms of the detail, <laughs> there's a lot of kind of gumshoe journalism involved there, and. Uh, it took a lot of work building trust with people. You know, there's a lot of fear among not only kind of board members and but also FAI staff or people involved in football because a lot of people had suffered, you know, that it got on John Delaney's bad side and there would be repercussions. Like people like Paul Cook, who's now the vice president of the FAI, you know, through election, like he was frozen out of the FAI for asking, you know, the impertinence of asking a question at, a, at an AGM about some uh, strange transactions in the, in the accounts. So, like... 
yeah, it took it took a lot of effort to get kind of that level of detail. Thankfully, people did trust us. You know, I think once we established that we were prepared to go to the court and defend an action, and you know, we were facing a possible legal bill of fifty thousand euro for one night, and that kind of established our credentials as people that wouldn't bow down or be scared by legal threats. That that did that was a great effect for us because it established our bona fides and people did trust us. Whistleblowers did come forward. Some people who wouldn't have taken phone calls of himself or Paul previously did agree to talk to us for the book, which is great. You know, like it's my first book and um you know, you're writing on it for a newspaper, you're even the Sunday paper, you know, you're 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 very strict deadline. So having the opportunity to sit down with people, do an interview and then go back to them and you know, to see if I got this right, if I got this uh kind of clarify this. It's a great facility for me as a journalist to be able to go really dig deep into matters and thankfully people did as well share a lot of inside records which helps us give a complete picture from FAI board minutes to financial reports and also kind of these top secret um, inve- investigation reports that we've managed to get our hands on and detail in and report to give a, a full picture to the extent of what actually happened um, during the John Delaney regime in the FAI. Between yourself and Paul Rowe and your, your co-author was there any sense of fear before this book came out or over the course of writing it that you know you're, there's, a, there's a lot on the line here and we talked already about the you know the litigious nature of, of, of certain individuals you know discussed in the book is, is it a kind of a, a scary process for you you say it's your first book so I know you haven't been through this before obviously you've written lots of articles and you're well used to fact checking and getting the, the legal uh, side of things correct so was there any kind of fear or apprehension from you on, on this there's always a bit of nervousness yeah like it's like publishing 200 stories in one go you know so a lot of people are named and affected by the book so you know you're always kind of a bit of beta breath to see what the, what the backlash might be but you know thankfully um you know we've we've done our homework um penguin um penguin sandy co penguin ireland our publishers backed us throughout so you know that that's been important and you know we've had a great editor in brendan barrington um who's great experience working on a lot of different books you know from mary mcalise's book to patrick frayne's new book you know so he's you know, he was coming out of it with fresh eyes and asked us a lot of really good questions, you know, to, to explain how, how everything works. And, you know, I'm, I suppose writing it, like I'm a news reporter and Paul's a soccer reporter with the Sunday Times, but I, I didn't want it to be a football book. It was more about, you know, the, the, the personalities, the people involved. So I really see it as a book, you know, that's about power, the use of power and obviously the, the abuse of power as well. And um, that, that's what I was aiming for, not just to kind of be bogged down on, on, on the football matters, which obviously is an important part of the story as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think I saw Dion Fanning tweeting about it during the week that it's as much about life in Ireland as anything else in terms of how these sort of things work and in, in the political sphere as well. Because there is a lot of politics in the book, but it's as I say, it's it's so well written and it's it moves along at such a pace that I think everyone will certainly enjoy it. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was. I'm sure people will be amazed at how long it's taken this mismanagement of the FAI to, to go without being exposed. And I know that the media has often cited the defamation laws in the country as being a huge obstacle in terms of running stories about the FAI and John Delaney. But another thing that gets mentioned in the book is the former CEO has such a cosy relationship with a lot of journalists and a lot of editors of newspapers. And that's why a lot of people were afraid to speak. You mentioned that as well. So do you have any sense how big a part this had to play in stories being hidden from the public for so long? Yeah, it's a fundamental part of the story, you know, that um, John Delaney, I think he, he had a big antipathy of, with the media. You know, he didn't, he didn't like journalism or journalists asking hard questions, but also he kind of embraced the celebrity side of, of his job and the kind of high profile that went with it. But he established very cosy relations with a lot of journalists and a lot of editors. And he, when, when we were kind of revealing some of the more startling stories, 
that was a fear that some of the whistleblowers that came talked to us that they had that you know John would often talk in openly in Abbottstown saying I, I'm going to call an editor and find out who that journalist source is for you know qu- qu- not, this is stories just going back well it wouldn't have been as as kind of earth shattering stories but you know there was a fundamental rule in the FAI that you didn't talk to the media or you didn't leak to the media and th- this drove a lot of the problem because there was such an overriding concern and need for secrecy on matters that. A lot of things and people that should have been asking questions didn't want to. Like one director I spoke to said he was glad he didn't know about, the, for instance, the three million euro golden handcuffs deal. This was a deal agreed in early 2014 to give John Delaney a three million euro bonus, effectively, for fulfilling his 360,000 euro a year salary um, and contract for that would end in 2020. So this director was saying I didn't want to know about that because I couldn't be accused of leaking it by John. You know, and he'd be fearsome on that if he accused someone of leaking it. He'd really hold it against you. But then people were actually not fulfilling their duties as a director or a company director under company law. And so people had things upside down, really, that they, they were too concerned about secrecy and leaks, but not actually concerned about minding the house effectively, you know, and, and, and minding what the financial situation was in the FBI. And as as emerged last December, uh, finally, you know, the, the FBI's finances were in a complete mess and required a, a massive state bailout. Yeah, and the other thing that, that struck me... Um, you know, the guys that, that were in the FAI for the duration of John Delaney's time in charge, they've been there for, for many, many years, but they were all experienced campaigners. None of these guys were, were wet behind the ears, just out of college, that kind of stuff. Sure. What I was surprised by was how it, apparently easily he was able to manoeuvre people around and manipulate people, if you want to uh-huh. use that word. These guys weren't, weren't, you know, I suppose maybe they were, they were maybe taken in a little bit by Delaney. It's, it's kind of hard to, to understand how, how they were able to just be kind of pushed aside and he was able to get away with all that stuff that went on and, and, and you know, money being spent and no real kind of oversight from the board, no, none of the directors asking hard questions. Was that something, again, that, that surprised you? Because maybe it's just the force of his personality. It's kind of hard to say, looking in from the outside, exactly how that was able to happen. Yeah, we, we set out kind of a lot of the situations that happened, you know, and one of the stark ones was, you know, that there's often a weak president um, at the head of the FAI. So, like, under, you know, a corporate, FAI's corporate setup, the chairman of the board was John Delaney's boss, but as well as being chief executive of the FAI since 2004, he was a director on the board. So there was n- there was never a time when the board could speak freely about and evaluate the chief executive without John Delaney being there. And, you know, like we talked about this, even when things, when, when the stuff hit the fan last year, you know, and they had, they had their first meeting without John Delaney being there, you know, John was letting people know that he didn't like what they were saying about him when he wasn't there. And, and there was a real fear of that because not he he kind of fulfilled the role of president for a lot of the time uh, and that's kind of a presidential role you know where you go around open clubhouses and make speeches but John Delaney wanted to do both roles you know be the chief executive but also have that honorary role and you know go around the clubhouses and get the platitudes be in the photographs dole out the checks and you know tend to the grassroots and he'd often boast about how he'd been on over 2,000 club visits around Ireland but that really shouldn't have been his job you know like he was a he was an executive supposed to be running the finances, the commercial side of things, not going around to the clubhouses. Obviously, that's an important part of the FAI as well. But you, you don't need your chief executive to be doing that. And it was remarkable that some of the insider documents we got were John Delaney's monthly uh, chief executive reports. And you'd see there be could be up to two pages uh, listing all the, the club visits he'd done in, over the previous month or all the, the dinners he'd had. And he'd, he'd report this in intimate details. But the directors were kind of blinded by this detail and 
there'll only be a paragraph saying, you know, the finances are tight and we're ma- managing creditors. And that, that, that really should have been where they were drilling into, not which cl- club he was visiting down in Limerick or Donegal or whatever. Have you received any significant blowback since the book came out? Because we know there were quite a number of people who were John Delaney loyalists and were statements issued on behalf of various um, bodies and provincial bodies around the country, including our own here in the Northeast. Have you seen anything of that from uh, people since the book has come out? And since, not even since the book has come out, I suppose, but since these stories have started to come into, come into the, the media arena in the last kind of 18 months, have you noticed a, a bit of a drop-off in the kind of groundswell of support? Or are you still seeing a few John Delaney loyalists kind of speaking out and, and not happy with what's come out here? Like for me, the, I've, I've never had support like this for a story. It's just been amazing. Like even, and like since the, like I remember the week we did the credit card story. I think the Sunday Times had five hundred people signing up for subscriptions. You know, it's a five euro a month, and that, our marketing department couldn't believe it. And and the, on I think it was Why Big um, the supporters forum were saying, don't post the detail of this story up here. Subscribe, support this journalism, and that's continued really. Uh, over the last 18 months and since the book came out even before the book came out so many people pre-ordered it and the, 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 the feedback's been phenomenal but yes look there are still John Delaney loyalists out there um, who, who, who hold them in high regard who don't like the journalism what we've done like, I even saw one guy calling me a rat snake on social media and he he'd, unfortunately a pirate version of the book has, has come out uh, on PDF and has been uh, spread around through WhatsApp and, and social media, and this person who's calling me a rat snake and a weasel and other other names for for the journalism that we've done. It's click uh, and it's clickbait, done. apparently. Yeah, yeah. Say and and saying I'm going to I'm going to uh, spread this to my or send this on to my 300 contacts, you know, as a way to 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 hurt hurt us. I think you know, to, uh, kind of a strange thing to do. And I just I, I the, but the. The reaction has been very good. Like, you know, people even in, in terms of that pirate copy, uh, a lot of people have contacted me and said, I'm telling people on our football WhatsApp group not to, not to spread that around. And I'd, I'd echo that and say, please don't do that. And if you can, support the journalism, you know, and support your local bookshop and uh, buy the book, please. Yeah, and it's, it's 15 euros or whatever it is. It's not gonna, it's not gonna break anyone's bank. And certainly, we'd echo those sentiments here because we've seen this before with books being sent around on WhatsApp and PDF. And for one thing, it's not a particularly enjoyable experience to read it that way. So just go out and just go out and get a copy of the book. Well, I suppose in terms of all the work you've done, um, Mark and yourself and Paul, I mean, if you needed to ask your employers for a bonus, you've got the perfect template there within the book to to find out how to go about doing that. Just finally, then. What's next for John Delaney in terms of you know for, in terms of what, where he's going to go next with this? Because I believe he's working in London at the moment. There's ongoing investigations. Like, c- could he face charges, or, or how do you think this is going to go? It's probably a little bit early to say. But what's your kind of feeling on where, yeah, where this might go next? That's, that's obviously a distinct possibility. When there's a guard, a criminal investigation, the guards are seconded with the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement. We know they've executed a search warrant on Abbottstown, the FAI HQ, and they seized John Delaney's emails going back over ten years. There's tens of thousands of records there. John Delaney's engaged in this process in the High Court at the moment where he has to say which of the documents or which of the emails are, are private or legally privileged. And one of the affidavits opened in court from one of the investigating guards who's uh, criticised Delaney for trying to delay things too much. Um, so, look, there's serious issues as we, some of the detail we publish in the book, you know, about the payments that have come out of the FAI, like payments, 95000 and money that went to Susan Keegan, and John Delaney's ex-girlfriend, that no rational explanation has been made for them. She says that she can only recollect one 10,000 euro payment. She wasn't involved in football. So, you know, there's serious issues to be addressed there. Uh, you know, the Kofi report is very stark. That's been with the Gardaí now for a long time. And yeah, you're right. John Delaney is working over in London in his affidavit. You know, he said he was working in areas where there's high prevalence of COVID. So he's putting his life at risk, trying to earn 
uh, money to support his family. Um, and you know, Joe Delaney, John's father, who had his own, um, was, an, was a senior official in the FAI up until the mid to late nineties. You know, he he did talk to us briefly for the book and kind of echoed those those uh, aggressive social media comments, calling us um, yellow pack journalists. And he said John is, is earning lots of money and is doing well in London. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of road to run on this story. Yeah, yellow pack is certainly a throwback for people of a certain generation. They might remember remember seeing that in certain supermarkets. Listen, Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. Yourself and your co-author, Paul Rowan, have done a fantastic job. The book is called Champagne Football, John Delaney and the Betrayal of Irish Football, The Inside Story. It's jaw-dropping, it's funny, it's extraordinary stuff, and we would encourage everybody to go out and have a read of it that's interested in Irish football, or even that's not interested in Irish football, because there's so much in there for everyone. Mark, thanks so much for taking really the time, and best that. of luck with the book. Cheers. LMFM Sunday Sport. Your sport, your station. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.